And we are continuing our series called My Masada, where we are going through Psalm 18. And Psalm 18 is a psalm of King David, probably written during the height of his power as king. And in this psalm, he is looking back at how God has been with him in times when his life was threatened. God had been David's fortress, his safe haven. And one of our directives here at TFRC is to be a safe haven where we are a place for the lost and broken to find peace and healing through Christ and community. And the title of the series, My Masada, uh, the word Masada means fortress. And Masada is an amazing place in southern Israel. Uh, it was built on an isolated rock plateau about 60 miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, it overlooks the Dead Sea in the middle of the desert. Uh, now it's a major tourist attraction. But back in biblical times, uh, it was an isolated place. There was nothing around it for miles. And Masada is significant for two reasons. First of all, Herod the Great, the Herod from the Christmas story, built a palace on top of it. It was an unbelievable palace oasis. Uh, the plateau um, is 18 acres in, si in size, and Herod's palace had a swimming pool and heated bathhouses and gardens. It was a place of luxury with an amazing view of the Dead Sea. About 85 years later, Masada became famous for another reason. In 70 AD, Jewish zealots revolted against the Roman Empire, and Rome was ruthless in their crushing of the revolt. And in about 72, 73 AD, the last remnants of the zealots made their final stand here at Masada. There were about 1,000 Jewish zealots. There were 8,000 Roman soldiers that surrounded Masada. And because it was so well fortified, it took the Romans months to break into Masada. And when they did, they found that all the zealots had died by suicide. They chose that rather than to die by the hands of the Romans. Now, the reason we are focusing on Masada for this series is that about a thousand years before Herod, King David had a fortress in this region of the desert. It's referenced in 1 Samuel 22 and 1 Samuel 24. Uh, no one knows for sure where his fortress was. Some people think that Masada was the location. Uh, Masada comes from the Hebrew word Masuda. Both of those words mean fortress. But even if Masada was not the location of David's desert fortress, it gives a great picture of what it means for God to be our fortress. Um, our scripture for today is Psalm 18, verses 16 to 24. You can look it up in your Bibles. Uh, Psalms is about halfway through the Old Testament. Uh, you can also look it up on your phones. Uh, this passage talks about how God rescued David, one of the times at least. Um, and so our scripture reader for this morning is Terry Downs. Terry, please make your way up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you're able, please stand, face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room is because scripture is to be central to our lives, the primary lens to determine how we live, and we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Terry, whenever you're ready, please read Psalm 18, verses 16 to 24. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. 
They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning away from God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Terry, thank you very much. You may be seated. Many of you know that um, up until middle school, I grew up in Wisconsin. But when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my family made a cross-country trip from Wisconsin to Idaho. We rafted down the middle fork of the Salmon River. Uh, we went with two other families who had kids uh, close to the age of, of my, myself and my brothers and sisters. Um, and one day after we had made camp, a bunch of us kids were playing. I can't remember exactly what we were doing, but I was running along the bank of the river. And as I was running, a part of the ground by the river gave way and I fell into the river. Now, I could swim and the water wasn't that deep, but the current of the river was strong enough and caught me just right so I couldn't get my head above the water and I also couldn't get my feet down to stand up. And I remember thinking at one point, uh, I'm in some trouble here. And so right before I went into panic mode, someone from our camp grabbed my arm and lifted me out of the water and everything was just fine, which was a good thing that they did that because I was going to need someone to rescue me. And when we think of God as our rescuer, that's the kind of stuff we think of. We're in a bind and God gets us out of it. And as our rescuer, God comes and delivers us. Just going back to the passage Terry just read, verse 16, where David wrote, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Now, while David is talking about how God rescued him, some of the language that he uses here sounds like, and would make anyone familiar with the story, think of the Exodus story. Deep waters, powerful enemy, day of my disaster. Now, towards the end of the Exodus story, Pharaoh had let the Israelites go after the 10th plague. And after the Israelites leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. And this is what happens in that story. Exodus 14. Um, he took, Pharaoh took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. 
They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. The most powerful army of the world is coming after the Israelites. And they are trapped between the sea and the army. And in that day of disaster, God reaches down and rescues them. The sea splits. The Israelites cross on dry ground. God draws them out of the deep waters. And when the Egyptians pursued them, the sea collapses upon them, rescuing the Israelites from their powerful enemy. So some of the language that David uses in Psalm 18 to talk about how God delivered him reminds us of this powerful, miraculous event. And we often think that this is what it looks like for God to rescue. But this picture is only one way that God rescues. Many times when God rescues, it seems like coincidence. Psalm 18 is King David looking back at how God had delivered him. David spent over 10 years on the run from King Saul. And God rescued him again and again. Now, one account of God rescuing David from King Saul can be found in 1 Samuel 24. You can look it up later. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I will summarize it for you. King Saul hears that David is in the desert. And so he takes 3,000 men to a part of the desert called En Gedi. And Gedi is not terribly far from Masada. Now, David and his men are hiding in a cave in the En Gedi region. Well, King Saul and his men are looking for them. And King Saul needs to use the restroom. And he goes into a cave to do so. And it just so happens to be the same cave that David and his men are hiding in. And so David's men see King Saul in a compromised position. And he, they encourage David to kill Saul. Well, David views King Saul as the Lord's anointed. And so he will not harm King Saul. But he does cut off a corner of King Saul's robe. So Saul leaves the cave. And when he is a safe distance away from the cave, David exits the cave and yells to King Saul. And he holds up a corner of the robe that he cut off. And he tells King Saul what just happened. And Saul is humbled by David's act of mercy. And he ends his pursuit of David. And Saul acknowledges that David will one day be king. And he asks David to not harm his family when he does so. And 1 Samuel 24 ends with this verse. So David gave his oath to Saul, and then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. That word for stronghold is Masuda, where we get the name Masada. David went up to his stronghold. Some think it was Masada, but we don't know for sure. But God was David's Masada in the cave. God had rescued him but not like he rescued in the Exodus. You see, it seemed more circumstantial 
that King Saul just happened to enter the same cave that David was hiding in. Now, I've been to the Engedi region of the desert. Some of you have been there too in southern Israel. There are countless caves there. <laughs> the chances of Saul entering the same cave as David is not coincidence. It was God's way of rescuing David. Back in May, my son got accepted to medical school in Boise. Now, we were super excited. However, we had a major problem. He got accepted in May. He was due to start classes in July. So he had two months to find an affordable place to live in Boise. Now, for one of those months, my son was going to be out of the country. So in essence, he had 30 days to look for an affordable place to live in Boise. We had no idea how this was going to work out. How do you find an affordable place to live in Boise in 30 days or 60 days? Well, it just so happened that one of the church staff knew a former TFRC member living in Boise who had a room that they could rent out for a couple of months. And then when Robert was on one of his trips out of the country, he was there with someone from TFRC who had a son who could rent him a room long term. The timing of all this worked out so he could stay with the first person for a few months and then stay with the second person long term. Amazing coincidence, right? No. <laughs> That's how God delivers. As our rescuer, God delivers. As our rescuer, God delights. Going back to the passage, verse 19, where David wrote, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, I've been struck by this verse over the last several weeks. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, the Bible tells us that God delights in a broken and contrite heart. The Bible tells us that God delights in mercy and justice and humility. The Bible tells us that God delights in honesty and righteousness. There are lots of things that God delights in. When was the last time you thought that God delights in you? When was the last time you thought that God delights in you? Now, that doesn't mean God delights in everything you do and think. But God does delight in you. And this shouldn't surprise us. The Bible says God so loved the world. The Bible says that God delights in his people. But I often think that God like tolerates me. I'm really not sure how much delight I bring him. Because it feels like God spends most of his time correcting me. 
Now, the Bible does say that God will discipline us, but look at what the Bible says when it even talks about God disciplining us. Proverbs 3, verse 12. The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. God disciplines those he loves like a father who disciplines the son that he delights in. Now, my children are a delight to me. They bring me joy. My grandson is a delight to me. He brings me joy. Now, that doesn't mean everything they do brings me joy. That's not the case. It also doesn't mean that I never discipline them. Like my grandson is fascinated by my dog. Specifically, my dog's eyes. He likes to poke them. Now, that can't happen. So we have to stop him from doing it. Now, just because we have to stop him from poking the dog's eyes doesn't mean he's not a delight. He's a delight. God will correct us, but we're still a delight to him. And while that's not a new concept that God delights in us, it's not one that I think about much. I focus on the things that I do wrong in my relationship with God. Let this sink in. God delights in you. God delights in you. The Bible says that even when God judges his people, he still delights in them. Jeremiah 31. Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. Delight is simply that which is pleasing. And while God is not pleased with everything we do and think, we are pleasing to God. One thing that we want to do in this series is to challenge us to be a safe haven for others. And obviously, part of being a safe haven for others is helping others out in a time of need. Okay, I get that. Here's a new challenge for me, and I'm just going to offer it up to you. How about we find delight in other people here at TFRC. That means finding people whose presence brings us joy. Now, sometimes we joke about how the church would be great, you know, if it wasn't for all the people. But for God, the people are the delight. So outside of your family, when was the last time you delighted in someone else here at TFRC? I think that's a great challenge for us. Outside of family, and again, some of you are thinking, well, it'd be easier if I could look outside of family. Okay, whatever. Outside of family, find at least one person here at TFRC who brings you delight, where their presence brings you joy. So as our rescuer, God delivers us, God delights in us, and God directs us. Going back to the passage one last time, where it says in verse 20, 
The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. David was careful to follow the ways of the Lord. But David did not follow the ways of the Lord to earn God's love. David followed the ways of the Lord because they kept him safe. David kept God's law because it gave him life. Jesus said he came to give abundant life. And we experience the abundant life by following Jesus. And Jesus followed God's commands. So when we follow Jesus, we keep God's ways too. And that's why we encourage one another to do what is right in God's eyes. It's not about being judgmental. It's about staying on the path of life. Now, sometimes our attempts to encourage each other to do right in God's eyes are counterproductive, meaning there is a godly way to encourage people to live godly lives that involves being gracious as we share truth. And we don't always do that. Okay. Yet, being a part, a part of being a safe haven is helping one another live godly lives as we follow Jesus together because following Jesus isn't easy. As Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. God is our rescuer and our stronghold by giving us his word. And when we submit to him, he makes our paths straight. He rescues us from that which seeks to destroy us because sometimes, sometimes, the biggest threat to us is us. And God's word rescues us from our selfish desires. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. That actually happened, and it changes everything. Jesus comes to rescue us. And whether he does it miraculously or in the mundane of the everyday, whether he does it by his work or by his word, the gospel changes everything. Jesus rescues us because it brings him delight. Or as the old cliche goes, it wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross, but rather his love for us. As it says in Luke 15, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus rescues us because we are a delight to him. Please pray with me. And Lord, we do thank you for being our deliverer, for giving us direction, 
and for rescuing us because you delight in us. And Lord, let that truth sink into our hearts and encourage us to do that which is pleasing in your sight. And it's in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.